Good morning, church. So the word of God says, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven, and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up seven baskets full of broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides the women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And I'm so excited for us to be able to continue on in Matthew chapter 15 this morning. And I'll just own it from the very beginning. We're, we're not going to be able to spend, uh, with the time we have, be able to look at this whole uh, section of scripture that we read. You're going to have to do a little study on your own. But this morning we're going to really concentrate on that first narrative that we read about uh, the Canaanite woman and Jesus' interaction with her. And, and this, this narrative, this story is really a continuation of the story that, that we were reading through last week where Jesus deals with the heart. So if you were kind of giving these messages a title, it would be Jesus in the Heart, part one and part two. Uh, and last week we saw uh, something that was, that was really challenging for us. Jesus is approached by the Pharisees, by the religious leaders And on the outside, if you saw this group coming to Jesus and you see their request of him, 
they would look exemplary. Like they are pursuing holiness. They are pursuing purity. They're coming to Jesus to talk to him about purification laws. Why do your disciples not wash their hands? And again, if you're in the crowd and you're looking at this and you see this group of men who've traveled many miles all the way from Jerusalem to Galilee to to talk to Jesus about these small little practices of striving for holiness, striving for purity, on the outside it would look like these men have great faith. These men love God with all their heart. They are so concerned with holiness and purity that they would even think about hand washing and purification and doing any little thing you can to avoid sinning against God. But as we saw last week, again, on the outside, it looked like their hearts were for God. But then Jesus' response to them was this, you hypocrites. Well, did the prophet Isaiah say about you, these people honor me with their lips, with their heart, is far from me. And Jesus in this moment and in, the, in this passage that we looked at last week begins to expose to us and to the religious leaders and to the crowd that the reality is that the Pharisees, the religious leaders on the outside look like they loved God with their heart. But on the inside, they were twisting and distorting God's word. They were disobeying direct commands from Scripture. And so to those watching him, it looked like they loved and followed God. But the reality is their hearts were for themselves and not for God. And Jesus went on to then begin teach about what causes defilement, brokenness, sin within our hearts. Is it something that we do on the outside? Is it an act? Is it an event? Is it when we do this thing, then we sin? And Jesus begins to shift their understanding and our understanding to say no, that it's from within the heart that sin originates. It's from within the heart that brokenness and defilement that that happens within us. And so as we continue into the story of Matthew, now enters a woman who's a different race, a different religion, a different social class, who comes to Jesus who doesn't look anything like the religious leaders, doesn't look anything like the Pharisees. She's a pagan, she's outside the family of God, she's a woman, she's in lower class, she's probably an idol worshiper from her background. And at the end of her interaction with Jesus, this is Jesus' response to her. O woman, great is your faith. So from the outside, the Pharisees look like their heart was for God, but on the inside, their heart wasn't. And then on the outside, this woman would not have looked like her heart was for God, but then Jesus' declaration of her faith says something different, which leads us to continue wrestling through the big truth that we introduced last week and that comes into our passage and we see as we continue in Matthew 15 today, which is this, God sees the heart. Man looks at outward appearance, but God sees the heart. We talked about this last week. We want to continue to press this out this week. And we see this again in this text, Matthew 15, verse 28. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. Jesus looks into this woman's life, her heart, her mind, who she is, and she, he can see her faith. And I've already read it, compared to last week, talking about the religious leaders, you hypocrites, Jesus said, will Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, the people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. God sees the heart. Brother, sister, friend, this morning, God sees your heart. 
And this theme runs throughout Scripture. Let me just give you a couple examples. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, the Lord, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Psalm 139, 1-4, O Lord, you've searched me, you know me, you know when I sit down, when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. He sees and knows what we're thinking. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Listen to this, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Kind of joked about this last week. I struggle to put sentences and words together sometimes to get my thoughts out in words before I can get my thoughts into words. Anybody else struggle with that from time to time? Before I can do that, God already knows the words that are going to come out of my mouth. Why? Because God sees the heart. And as we head toward Matthew 22, being asked, what is the most important commandment? Jesus answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. God sees the heart. God knows the heart. God wants your heart and my heart. And so as we read through this passage this morning that that we just heard read to us and we read as we walked through Scripture, we are challenged to ask the question, what is happening in Jesus' interaction with this woman, this Gentile woman, what is happening in her heart, what is happening in this story that would cause the woman to respond to Jesus the way that she does and would cause Jesus to respond to her the way that he does. And this story that's in Matthew's Gospel is one of the most astounding stories, I think, that we see in the Gospel of Matthew. That this woman who has no background, she's a non-Jew, she, she has no frame of reference, she's never met Jesus before. To see the way that she responds and pursues Jesus in this passage is just incredible. And it speaks to us about the kind of heart that God is looking for, the kind of heart that God desires, and even the heart of our God for others. And so as we think about these things, here's what I want to do. I just want to walk back through this text together, kind of break it down. What's, what's Matthew saying? What's happening here? I want us to feel the weight of what's happening in these verses. And then just give us some big ideas, some application for how do we respond in light of what we see here. So if you have your copy of God's Word, I just encourage you to look at verse 21. We're just going to walk through these few verses together. So verse 21, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. So Matthew's giving us some context. Jesus withdrew. That word withdrew is an important word. Happens throughout Jesus' ministry. Jesus pulls away from the crowds. He pulls away from the people. Oftentimes when Jesus is withdrawing, it's to pursue abiding with the Father. It's to pray, it's to seek, it's to get away. We saw this in in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus went out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights alone. And this happens throughout the Gospels. But one of the things that's significant about this is that Jesus is not trying to build a following. Jesus is not trying to gain the crowds. He's not trying to win a popularity contest. If he wanted to do that, he would stay right in Galilee or head straight to Jerusalem. But now he withdraws, he goes outside the region of Israel and for the first time he's in enemy territories he's outside the region of the Jews in Tyre and Sidon 
That's important because this is not a normal pattern for a Jewish teacher to leave the confines, to leave the boundaries, the territories of Israel and go into an area of pagan worship. He's in Gentile territory. Verse 22. And behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. So here's the situation. A Canaanite woman, and that that phrase is important, Canaanite. If you read in Mark's account, he says it's a Gentile woman, and he describes where she's from. Matthew uses the word Canaanite woman because he's calling to mind our Old Testament. And so we know in the Old Testament that the Jews, Israel, God's people, were called to go to the land of Canaan, that the Canaanites, they were the enemies. They were the people outside the family of God. Matthew wants us to remember that language. He wants us to lock in. This is not a Jewish woman coming to Jesus and submitting to him and calling him Savior and Lord. It is a woman outside the family of God, outside the people of God, who is pursuing him. The Canaanites symbolize the outsider and the enemy of God's people. And look at how she addresses Jesus. She says, O Lord, O Lord. Now for us, when we say Lord, we are using that as a term of surrender and submission. And maybe that's what she means. But also in this time, O Lord is is a title of respect. And so she could just be kind of respecting Jesus. But the words that come out of her mouth next are incredibly important, incredibly convicting because she calls him Son of David. Son of David. Now if you circle or highlight or underline your Bible, you want to underline those words. We've seen those before in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew's worked really hard to show us that Jesus is the promised Son of David. That Jesus is the one true Messiah. And what is remarkable about this passage and this story is how this woman would have known this about Jesus. Maybe she'd heard rumors. Maybe she'd heard stories about him being a healer. But we know that the religious leaders, they didn't believe Jesus was the son of David. The crowds didn't believe it. The disciples, up to this point, they were unsure of what all these things meant. But somehow this woman, outside the family of faith, outside the people of God, realizes and understands that Jesus is not just a prophet. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a healer. He is the promised Messiah. She calls him by that title. She sees and understands something that the Jewish people have yet to understand, that Jesus is the one that people have been waiting for. Then she brings her request, My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. What does that mean? This is a high-stakes situation. A mother is losing her daughter. She's coming to Jesus, begging and believing that he can help her. Have you ever been at the end of your rope? Have you ever been in a situation that is totally beyond your control and outside of the intervention of God, you have no hope? That's what this woman's situation is. Similar to the Roman centurion we learned about earlier, Jairus' daughter. If, if Jesus doesn't intervene in this moment, there is no hope. Which leads us to verse 23 where we see Jesus' reaction. And it is meant to alarm us. Look at with me in verse 23. But he, Jesus, did not answer her a word. 
A woman comes crying to Jesus. Her daughter is oppressed by a demon. And what is Jesus' response? Silence. Not a word. Not an encouragement. Not a glimpse of compassion. Silence. Now can we just pause there for a second? That that should strike us. This is not the way that we usually see Jesus interact with people throughout the narrative. Something big isn't happening here. For Jesus to not even address this woman, to keep moving forward, is meant to stop the reader, stop the listener in our tracks and say, what on earth is happening here? Why would Jesus not respond to this woman? Let's keep going. Verse 23. And his disciples came to him, Jesus, and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. So we don't know how long this is taking place, but kind of similar to the story in uh, Acts 16, where Paul's dealing with the woman who's calling out after them. This must be taking some period of time because the disciples, they're bothered by it. It's a distraction, it's annoyance, it's a burden to them. She keeps coming, she keeps calling out after Jesus, she keeps crying for help, and Jesus keeps not answering her. And we don't know what the disciples really want Jesus to do. They say, can you send her away? We don't know if that means send her away with healing or just send her away. But for the disciples, their heart is not compassion for the woman. It's, we want this to be over. We want this to be done with. Which is, just a little aside for me, uh, for us this morning. How often are people, instead of being the ones that we care about, how often are they the ones who are in our way? A distraction to our priorities instead of the priority. The disciples, they... They see a problem and they're asking Jesus to help. Verse 24, Jesus responds not to the lady but to the disciples. Look at what he says. This is so important. But again, there's tension here I want us to feel. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What does that mean? Jesus was sent with a purpose that took priority over this woman's present circumstances. Jesus is making sure the disciples understand and making sure we understand that Jesus' purpose on earth was bigger than the present circumstances of those that were around him. And that's meant to create tension in us. That's meant to create question in us. Why would Jesus not intervene? Why would Jesus not heal? Why would Jesus not respond to this woman? This seems cold to us. We need to lean into this. Jesus is teaching us something important here. So important that he would sacrifice the present needs of this woman and her little girl to teach the disciples and us a truth about God's kingdom. Which is this. God's kingdom, his glory, his plans, his purposes take priority above our perception of our present circumstances. Friends, that's hard doesn't mean that God doesn't have purpose in your circumstances. He does. But our perception of our circumstances lean and bow to the greater purposes of God. That's why Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come above mine. Your will be done above mine. 
on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is teaching the disciples. He's teaching us something about what matters most. Can I just give an example? Again, I know this is tense and heavy. Can I just give an example? I think we kind of get a little bit in this. Anyone ever fly on an airplane before? I know for many of us it might have been years. Okay, like five of you. That's awesome. Airplane is this thing that goes up in the air. You sit on it and it takes you to another place. So when you get on the airplane, if you're listening to the stewardess give direction, when they talk about oxygen mask, you, you've heard this before. If the oxygen mask fall because cabin pressure decreases, who are you supposed to put the oxygen mask on first? Yourself. Well, that seems cold. That seems harsh. Why would you not take care of the person to your left or to your right or to your son or your daughter or your aging grandmother? And maybe you've been on a plane and you're like, eh, I would never do that, taking care of the people around me. But there's a principle there. There's a priority there. When you put the oxygen mask on yourself, you're then able to help serve others. Jesus is teaching us something about priority here. That the way we see life, the way we see our present circumstances should always submit to the greater purposes and glory of God. Which leads us to verse 25. We see the woman's plea. The woman comes back up to Jesus and says, but she came, the text says, she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. You can just feel the desperation in this moment. She's kept coming, kept asking. She's been bugging the disciples. Now she's coming back to Jesus. She gets down on her knees, an act of humility and worship. It says, Lord, help me. She humbly comes to him begging for help because she believes that Jesus is the only one who can help her. I did some study on this. There was actually a temple to a false deity within three miles that was the false deity of, of healing. And so she could have been at that temple praying to the false gods, the gods of healing, to heal her daughter. She's not there, she's here. Because she believes that Jesus really is the Messiah, the Son David, Lord, help me. This is not a demand, it's a plea. It's not entitlement, it's not owing. It's God, please help me. Verse 26, look at Jesus' response to her. And again, this should create tension in us. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. So again, Jesus is giving us a statement of priority. This is not what we would expect. We would expect Jesus to humbly and joyfully meet this woman's need. Instead, he says that there's a priority. That my primary purpose at this point in my ministry is to serve those who are lost, God's family, Israel. And it doesn't matter how you slice it. Some commentators, they... They translate the word dog and talk about, well, this is a household pet instead of a, a rough animal. So he's using kind of a term of endearment. Can, can we just set that aside for a minute? Jesus is comparing her to a dog. Some people see this as chauvinistic power play by Jesus. What on earth is going on here? But that's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is teaching the woman and the disciples a principle, and the principle is this. You take care of the kids first. Like I know some of you have dogs and cats, like cat mom, cat dad, dog dad, whatever, dog mom. 
Children are more important than pets. There's a priority. We have a dog, Finn. We love him. He's actually been sick the last couple weeks. Thankfully, he seems to be getting better. But we have to wrestle through what, what are we going to do? Are we going to take care of him? Are we going to take care of others? We're going to take care of our kids. We're going to take care of our family first. Why? They take priority. Jesus is saying in God's kingdom, there are priorities. And we have to trust his priorities. We have to trust his purposes. Look at the woman's response in verse 27. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Wow. She doesn't argue with Jesus. Look at what she does. She affirms his statement. I am a dog. I am insignificant. I don't have worth. But. Even the dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. Whatever blessings that you've brought to your people Israel, if some of those could just pass to me, that's all I need. Look at Jesus' response in verse 28. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith! Exclamation point. In the original language, this is a shout of emotion. Jesus is overwhelmed by this woman's wisdom and her trust in him. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly that very hour. We see this woman's faith in light of a difficult circumstance in front of her. So what does this passage teach us? about the heart. The temptation is to read a passage of scripture like this. Can we, I just own this with us for a moment. This is my temptation and yours. It's to read this passage, see the woman's faith, see Jesus' response to it and say, oh, how do we be more like the woman? What did she do? How do we learn from her? How do we be like her? How do we receive that kind of blessing? That's not why this passage exists. The point of this passage is not the woman, but the one who the woman is putting her faith in. The reason the stories in the gospel stories to help us better understand the heart of God so we, you and I, might trust him. Here's what I want to do in just the few minutes we have remaining. I want to ask and answer a question. Here's the question. What does this passage teach us about the heart of God? What does this passage teach us about the heart of God? A few big ideas really quickly. And as I walk through these, what I want to encourage you and ask you to do is say, are these things, are these things a burden for your heart? Do you believe these things about God? Do you care about these things that we see in this passage? What does this passage teach us about the heart of God? Really quickly, first is this. God loves the nations. God loves the nations. Again, without taking a lot of time, verse 21 is really important. Jesus is leaving the confines of Israel. He's leaving the nation of the Jews that he's been called to. And he's going into Gentile enemy territory. He has healed Gentiles before, but never not from Israel. It's 
always been within the borders of Israel, but now Jesus is leaving Israel and he's going to these Gentile regions, which is a picture of what's to come. It's a picture of the commission that he is going to give to his disciples. You see, from Abraham in in, uh, Genesis chapter 12, all the way through the Old Testament, God had promised that the blessings that were meant for his people would spill over and pour out to the nations. That through Abraham's family, all the families of the earth would be blessed. That God is not a God of a nation. He's a God of the nations. And his desire is that all would come to know him and worship him. God loves the nations. Jesus doesn't have to go to these Gentile cities. He chooses to go there. He doesn't have to encounter, have this encounter with this Gentile woman. He chooses to do this in the presence of his disciples who will one day carry the great commission out. Point of application for us. If we are to be a people who love God, we must be a people who love the nations. We must be a people who have a heart for those who've never heard the name of Jesus. We celebrate this morning a group from our church who's literally on their way to fly to Uganda to go be among unreached people groups. We pray that God would give us a passion and a burden to see the gospel go to those who've never heard it before. Why? Because Jesus carries that burden. And we are his people. Second big idea. We see about the heart of God. God's purposes take priority over our perspective of our present circumstances. This might be one of the hardest things for us to grab a hold of in our American Christian subculture. That God's purposes take priority not of our present circumstances. God is working in our present circumstances. God is working in your situation. He has a purpose for what he's doing in your life. But his purposes take priority over our perspective of what's happening in our lives. We yield our perspective to the greater purposes of God. We feel the weight of this encounter. Jesus is silent. Friends, has it ever felt like Jesus has been silent in your life before? Jesus does not heal when the woman comes and asks, him to heal have you ever prayed for healing and you've not received it before Jesus is clear that his purposes take priority over the needs of this woman and her daughter that's hard for us to wrestle with why because bent to ourselves there's nothing more important to us in our present circumstances. And so God in his mercy and God in his kindness is teaching the disciples and teaching us this reality that God's kingdom matters more than what we see happening in front of us. And this is not just something we see in this passage. John chapter 9, there's a man who's blind since birth that Jesus heals. And the disciples ask him, who sins, this man or his parents? Remember Jesus' response, neither. But that God might be glorified through his life. Or Lazarus, Jesus, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus delays, why? So that God might be glorified through the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. And the ultimate picture is the cross. 
Jesus in the garden saying, Father, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours. I don't want these present circumstances. I don't want this. But I'm entrusting myself to your purposes. Friends, if we are going to be a people of faith, the people who love and follow God, His purposes must take priority over our perception of our present circumstances. Isaiah 55, 8-9 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heaven are, the higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. What's God saying? He's above and beyond us. So we must trust him. Which leads to a third big idea. God gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the humble. We look in verse 25. The woman comes, she kneels before Jesus and just asks for help. She doesn't come demanding her rights. She doesn't come feeling entitled. She doesn't come with anything that Jesus owes her. She comes to him as the only source of hope. She kneels before him, a sign of submission. She asks for help, a posture of dependence. And she acknowledges to Jesus, this is so important, she is unworthy of his mercy and grace. And friends, that is not just true of that woman, that is true of us. God owes us nothing. Any kindness he bestows upon you and upon me is an act of unmerited mercy and grace. And in our culture, we would fight so hard against Jesus' response to this woman, but look at the woman does. She humbles herself and entrusts herself to him. This posture should always be the posture we have before God, need and dependence. First Peter 5, 5 says this, Close yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. Why? For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Fourth big idea. God honors persevering faith. God honors persevering faith. One of the things we see throughout these pas- this passage that God loves is that throughout the story, the woman keeps pursuing Jesus. She keeps coming again and again and again and again. She doesn't quit. She doesn't give up. She keeps entrusting herself to Jesus. She keeps believing that he is the only one who can meet her needs. Friends, this is important for us. Point of application. Faith is not belief in a moment, but faith is an ongoing, active, trusting, obeying, and setting our heart in God. It's faith that perseveres. It's faith that presses forward, not out of our own strength, but out of God's grace. I love Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, that talks about this, that we have been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and the seated at the right hand of God. Consider him. Think about Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Why? So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Friends, some of you this morning are weary and faint-hearted in your faith. Look to Jesus. Persevere. 
Not out of your ability, but looking to Jesus, which leads to our last big idea this morning. The team can come on up. God shows mercy to those who are unworthy. God shows mercy to those who are unworthy. This woman has no right to come before Jesus. And yet in her act of faith, Jesus comes to her. And not just in her act of faith. Think about this. Jesus comes to Tyre and Sidon. Jesus is the one who initiates being present in this moment when she needs him most. Friends, this is what God has done for us. Sending Jesus into the moment of need that you have and I have. We have no worth. We have no reason that he should love us or pursue us. And yet he has and does. She's the lowest standing culturally. She's an enemy of God's people. Outside the covenant promises. No worth to bring to the table. Yet mercy comes to her. And mercy comes to you. And to me this morning through Jesus Christ. Which leads me to one question this morning. What is your faith in? What are you putting your faith in? This morning, who has your heart this morning? Are these things that are true about the heart of God, are they true about your heart and my heart? I just want to invite you just to bow your head where you are. It's an opportunity for response for us this morning. Do you love the people God loves? Are you willing to submit your present circumstances, your hardship, your loss, your suffering, your confusion, your hurt, your weariness to the purposes and plans of our good God? Are you walking in humility, remembering and recognizing your great need for God's mercy? Is your faith persevering in the midst of hardship and trial? If the answer to any of those things is no, this time, this morning, this space is a time to turn to Jesus, to repent, to trust, to believe, to ask, Lord, help me. Father, I just pray for my brothers and sisters this morning. We thank you for this story, this true story that happened. We thank you for the faith of the Canaanite woman. We thank you for the response of Jesus and what he's teaching us. And I pray that you would give us a heart that's persevering, a heart that's humble, a heart that desires your kingdom and purposes above ours, a heart that loves the lost, a heart that helps us understand and know our need for grace and that you've met that and it creates a gratitude and joy in us. Would you please do that in the life of my brothers and friends? Would you please help us to build our lives on your love because you are worthy, you are holy. There's none like you. Help us to give our lives totally in our circumstances to you for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray.